Well, good morning, Canyon Hills. I'm really excited to be here before you and just to be closing up this series of the End Commandments, you know, the Not Commandments. And today we come to the final End Commandment, Thou shall not doubt. We're going to talk about doubt, but we do it anyway, don't we? And it's not like we decide to do it because, you know, doubt is a lot like worry and fear. You know, it's not like you decide to have fear one day. It's not like you say, hey, today about 2 o'clock, I think I'm just going to have some fear. Or tomorrow after breakfast, after I have some breakfast, I think I'm just going to have some doubt. No, worry, fear, doubt, they they jump up and they grab us, right? And we wish they could go away. and, And it's so strange to think that someone would say, especially as we're going through this series, fear not, worry not, judge not, doubt not. And yet throughout the Bible, we hear stories of doubt. And Jesus tells his closest followers, do not doubt. Do not doubt. In fact, what do we call people who have doubt? We call them doubting Thomases, right? And it's straight out of the Bible. Thomas, one of Jesus' very own disciples, someone who had perhaps spent years uh, witnessing miracles and traveling with Christ and learning at his feet, famously doubted that his master had been raised from the dead. And note that an entire week went by before Jesus, you know, appeared to him. So he had a lot of time for doubt to come into his mind and for doubt to just nod him. But when Thomas finally saw the risen Christ, his doubt fled. And this is what Thomas says in in the book of John. He says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And then verse 27 says, Then he, Jesus, said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And then Thomas said to him, My Lord, my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You guys get the feeling that doubting Thomas was doubting Thomas all the way up to the resurrection? Doubting Thomas was a pessimist. He was a, you know, glass half empty kind of guy. He, he doubted that God would do what he said he would do. But how about you? Have you ever had any doubt in God? In what he would do for you? Maybe in what he already did for you? Maybe doubt, if we're honest this morning, that sometimes we doubt that it, does he even exist? And you see, it wasn't just Thomas who doubted. In fact, it was 100% of Jesus' first century followers had doubt. All of them did. And not only did they doubt, they doubted all the way up until the end. So here's the good news for some of you doubters out there. Jesus doesn't toss you out just because you doubt. And you can doubt, and, and, and this is so important, you can doubt and follow Jesus at the same time. Because all of his first century followers did. You don't have to have your doubt all worked out. And I, and I know that for some of you, this is a major obstacle in you coming to the faith and, or into getting closer in your relationship with Christ. Because you're coming to church and, and you're liking the worship and you're liking the people and you're liking this whole one another stuff that we call fellowship and you're starting to read the Bible and you're starting to take your faith a little bit more seriously and you've grown in your faith, but, but you have questions and you have doubts. And here's the great news. You can follow Jesus with your questions. You can follow Jesus with your doubts, even if they're not all worked out yet. It's okay. Thomas did. Thomas doubted that God would do what he said he would do. 
And what about Moses? Do you guys remember the story of Moses? God says to Moses and Judges, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So go now. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And what does Moses respond with? He says, sure, God, send me. I'll go anywhere. Just tell me where to go. No. Moses had doubts. Then there's this, to me, this mind-boggling exchange between God and Moses. And Moses puts up like a million excuses. First, Moses asks, hey, what shall I say to them, meaning the Egyptians, when you send me? And God says, well, tell them I sent you. And then Moses asks, well, what if they don't believe me? And then God says, well, here's a staff and a rod that will perform miraculous miracles. Use this. And then they continue this dialogue for a whole chapter in the Bible. And the next chapter, Moses gives, uh, the, the, the last excuse that Moses gives is found in the next chapter, chapter 4, verse 10. And it says, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow to speech and tongue. You see, Moses stuttered. And the Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouth? Who makes the deaf or the mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. And you would think that would be enough, right? Moses gets up and like, yeah, you got it, I believe you now. Verse 13, but Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. The exchange continues, and then finally God sends Aaron, this guy named Aaron, to help, with, to help with that. And in verse 16, this is what he says. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if, if, as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hands so that you can perform the signs with it. I mean, what an exchange. But what it boils down to is that Moses had doubts. He doubted in God. He doubted in himself. He didn't think that he was good enough. He didn't think that he was cut out for the task. He doubted if what God was telling him was true. But here's a big one that I discovered as I was preparing for this message. Moses doubted if any of this was even worth it. And and, and I think the same is true with our doubt. Because we sometimes feel we're not good enough or cut out for certain tasks. It may be because of our upbringing or what life brings. But we doubt ourselves. We doubt our God. And sometimes... We doubt if things are even worth it or true. And in either case, it's okay because God doesn't give up on us because of our doubt, even when we question him sometimes. But you know what Thomas, Moses, and all of his first century followers had in common? Number one, they all doubted. All of them went on to do some great things for God, and most of them became heroes of the faith. In fact, had they not doubted, we wouldn't be hearing their stories today. And you see, they're no different than you and I. They're no different than us because we all have doubts and it's okay. One of the most common questions that I'm asked as a pastor, and I bet this is true for a lot of pastors, and here's how it happens. It's always one-on-one. It's never in a group. And, and you know, the, the person that's going to ask it always lowers their voice and they lean in and they say, hey, pastor, can I, and, or if they, they, they know me, they say, hey, Carlos, can I ask you a question? And right at that moment, the first thing I do is I pray for wisdom because I know it's either going to be something about sex or something personal. And then they lean in and they can ask you a question. And I'm like, yeah, sure. They're like, do you ever have doubts? And I look at them straight in the face is like, never. Who would do such a thing? (laughs) Basically, I lied right to their face. Of course I have doubts. Do I have doubts? I mean, I made a list. 
No, seriously, I made a list. I was thinking about this message and all the moments in my life where I had doubts, and it was exhausting. It really was. I think my, my first real doubts started to appear in junior high and high school when, when I started to think, am I, am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Am I cool enough? Am I good looking enough? All right, I lied about the last one. I've never struggled with that. But, <laughs> but the point is that that's when they start. You know, Olivia and I got married at a very young age. Some of you guys know that. And, and I have to be honest, where's my wife? I didn't, I didn't think we were, we were going to make it because the odds were against us. We were so young. Of course I wanted it to work out, but did I, did I have doubts? Yeah, I had doubts. And then later in life, when, when things got really, really hard, I mean hard, when, when, you know, when you start popping up the big D word, did I have doubts? Oh, yeah. More, more than I'd like to, to share. I, I've had doubts that I would be able to provide for my family, and I still do. I've had doubts that God was going to do what he said he was going to do all the times. I have doubts that his promises will be true in my life. I see them true in other people's life, but sometimes I have doubts that they would be true in my life. You know, a long time ago, I felt God speak to me and said that he would give me a business. And I believe that it was him speaking to me. And it took two years for that to come to fruition. You think I had doubt between those two years? After year one, I was doubting if God was even speaking to me. Maybe it wasn't him. Maybe it was just me speaking to myself all by myself. Because that happens sometimes. I've doubted if my kids are going to be okay in life when they grow up. Or when they're kids, if they're going to find the right friends. Not because of anything they've done, just because of what life brings. I've doubted, and I'm going to be very honest with you this morning, I've doubted if I'm really even cut out for this pastor thing. I mean, did, did God really call me? Or maybe just me again, all by myself, remember? You guys remember that not being good enough in high school? Comes back, doesn't it? And you know what? I'll stop now because it is exhausting. I'm exhausted now. But what it boils down to is that I have doubts when I forget what the foundation of my faith is. I have doubts when I forget God's promises for my life found in his word. I have doubts when I begin to look around and I look at circumstances and there's basically two big categories that causes our doubt. We doubt, if you're a Christian, we doubt when we wonder, is it worth it? And we doubt when we wonder, is it true? Now, is it really worth it to sacrifice? Is it really worth it to follow Jesus? That's when we start to doubt. You know, doubt reaches up and it just grabs you. And when you see circumstances that are so difficult for, for you or someone you love, and you think, is there really a good God? And is Jesus really real? And suddenly you begin to doubt because you, you look around and, and you look at what following Jesus demands of you. You know, for those of you that are in high school or just graduated, and, I mean, this is going to be your struggle, or you young adults. There will be a, is a true struggle, but the bigger struggle that you're going to have is, is it worth it to follow Jesus? And when you decide, and if you decide, I'm not sure it's worth it to follow Jesus, here's what you'll do, or here's what you're going to be tempted to do. You will shift your focus from, is it worth it, to, is it true? Because if you can convince yourself that it's not true, then you don't have to struggle with the is it worth it part. And there's so many responses that we can have to our doubt. One of them is no action at all. 
We don't do anything. Just continue to do the same thing. Just let doubt take over you and maybe even at times take you out. Or we can respond with four things that I think God wants me to share. I don't think God wants me to share with you. The first one is don't allow God, don't allow doubt to equal idleness. Don't allow doubt to equal idleness. In all the cases that I just shared with you from the Bible about doubt, not once, and hear this carefully, not once did it really cause any of the people to stop moving forward with the plans that God had laid out for them. Yes, they grumbled. Yes, they doubted. Yes, they tested and they questioned God, but they all continued to move forward. See, they had faith. They exercised their faith. They weren't paralyzed by fear or by doubt. Yeah, we're going to doubt, but that shouldn't equal idleness. That shouldn't equal inactivity. We need to keep moving forward with God's plans for our life, and trust and faith is going to carry us through. The second thing that you should do in response to to our doubt, and, and I think this is a really important question to ask yourselves. The first one is, who's going to save you? Think about that for a second. Now, I'll tell you who knew this firsthand, and that was Peter, because Peter almost let his doubt literally take him out. Do you guys remember this story? We talked about it in this series before. It is the story of the 12 apostles, and they're rowing, and the, and the wind is in their face, and they're having a hard time, and they've been out there all night, and then Jesus comes to them walking on water. And then Peter makes this incredible observation and says, if that's you, Jesus, call me out into the water so that I can walk too. And Jesus calls him out and says, come on out, Peter. So Jesus steps out of the boat, and what does Peter do? He starts to walk on water. But then in Matthew chapter 4, verse 30, it says this, but when he, Peter, saw the wind... He was afraid and beginning to sing, cried out, Lord, save me. Any of you guys ever prayed that before? Lord, save me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, save me. So Peter sort of models this great prayer. He says, Lord, save me. And immediately, listen to this. This is so powerful. In verse 31, it says, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Don't miss that. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And this is an incredible picture for many of you and, many, and myself who have doubt. You know, because you might be a Christian a long time. You could have been a Christian a short time. And I don't want you to miss this connection. When does Peter start to doubt? And how does Jesus respond? Jesus reaches out and catches him in one hand. And at the same time, he says, why did you doubt? And here's where we begin to get some insight into how to respond to doubt. Peter started to doubt when? When things, started, when things started to go wrong for him, right? When things weren't working out. He looked around at the wind and he saw the waves and all of a sudden he became afraid and began to doubt. And you see, this is a lot like us. We look at this whole idea of following Jesus when we look at the, what God has called us to do and we consider all that he's called us to believe, and then we look around at the real world and think, I'm not sure this is going to work out. I'm not sure this is worth it. And since I'm not sure it's worth it, I might convince myself that I'm not even sure it's true because if it's not true, then I don't have to try. So ask yourself next time, when you're going through trials and when you're going through struggles, who are you going to cry out to? Anyone, save me. You, save me. As for me, 
I'm going to cry out to my Lord in my time of need and say, God, help me. Lord, save me. Third, ask yourself another very important question. To whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? I'll tell you where I came up with that. There's another situation that the disciples find themselves in, and this is a big one. Because in this set of circumstances, in this conversation, the disciples almost allowed their doubt to take them out. In fact, the disciples' lack of faith in this situation almost caused them, and I can't overstate this, caused them to disappear from history. If they had allowed their doubt to overwhelm their faith, we would have never heard of Andrew, Peter, James, John, and many of you would have different names today. Christianity, it's true, Christianity would have been brought by a whole new set of people. Now, here's the situation. Jesus had just done that big miracle where he fed the 5,000. You guys remember that miracle? And of course, you know, the crowd is like, hey, we want more. We like free food. You guys ever notice when there's free food, a lot of people show up? It was the same thing back then. And in John chapter 6, Jesus is trying to, to take this imagery of bread and the imagery of life, and, and he's trying to connect some of the dots to his audience, and he's basically saying, hey, just like I gave you real bread to eat, I am the bread of life. And then he uses some really strange language. He tells them, you need to eat my flesh and drink of my blood. And of course, we know what that means, but in, you know, he was essentially trying to say that I am, I am the true life, and, and the bread of life is temporary, and I'm real. So he's trying to get creative with his audience, and the audience is so literal, and there's some people there in the audience that don't like Jesus in the first place, and they're just looking for something to put on social media, so they're trying to pick holes in his story and what he said. So they begin to throw out these phrases like, who is this guy? He's telling us that we're supposed to eat his flesh and supposed to drink his blood, and suddenly the crowd starts to stir. In fact, in John, John chapter 6 and John was there. John was the eyewitness. He says this in verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, and I'm not talking about the 12 apostles, but the general group of people who were following Jesus. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And from this time, the Bible says, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You see, Jesus started to lose the crowd. And I love this. So, so the crowd is leaving. Everything is going on. Jesus is talking. And the apostles are looking around like, where's everybody going? Maybe I should sneak in in the crowd. Nobody will notice that we're gone too, right? Isn't that great? And in verse 67, Jesus turns to them. Maybe, maybe, just maybe he's turning to some of you today. And he says this. You don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Isn't that great? Here he is, he's teaching, and he knows that what they're thinking, and he turns around and says, hey, guys, eye contact with me, please. You guys aren't thinking about leaving too, are you? Hmm. See, they have no idea of what hangs in the balance of not allowing their doubt to take them out. And Peter, in that moment, he sees through the mist, and he sees through the fog, and Peter says the most extraordinary thing. Simon Peter answered him, verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. To whom shall we go? Personalize that. Ask that to yourself. To whom shall I go? That 
is the question that cuts through the fog and the mist of your doubt. That's the question that needs to address it. Is it worth it or is it true? And those are valid things. Those are valid things to think about because every true should be addressed. Oftentimes, doubt leads to curiosity. Curiosity leads to discovery. And all of that is positive, but doubt has a potential, if we're not careful, to take us out. And the question that cuts through the midst and the fog of doubt when it comes to Jesus, your Savior, my Savior, is the question, if not you, who? If not Jesus, who? If not Jesus, what? If I'm not going to follow Jesus, who am I going to follow? If I'm not going to follow Jesus, what am I going to follow? And Peter, I love Peter, I can relate to that guy. And Peter in that moment, not because I have the presence of mind, but he had the presence of mind to realize, hey guys, don't miss this, okay? Guys, we better know before we go. Now, I know there's some high school students here and some young college grads and, and young, you know, young adults, and I just want to say something to you this morning. Here's the thing. In school, if you decide that you're not sure it's worth it and that you decide that it's not true, that's fine. You need to wrestle with those questions. But before you abandon ship, before you cut ties with Jesus and your tradition and what you've grown up with and what you believed in all of your life, before you go, you need to know then whom shall you go to? And to what will you go? Because simply stepping back from Jesus because you're not sure it's worth it and you're not sure it's true without looking at what you're stepping into, onto, and with is a terrible, terrible risky decision. And you're risking your future and your entire life. It's okay to question. It's okay to read. It's okay to wonder. And the question that will lock you in as you debate and as you think and as you read and as you learn and as you discover is the question, if not Jesus, to whom shall I go? And until I find a better offer, until I discover something that is as solid as what I think I grew up with, I'll read, I'll wonder, and I, but I will not go until I know the answer to that question. And Peter knew that. Hey, Peter, is it worth it? Not right now, it's not. Hey, Peter, are, are you sure it's true? I'm beginning to have doubts. Hey, Peter, are, are you sure you made the right decision in following this guy? Right now? No, I'm not, I'm not so sure. Are you sure it's all true? I'm not sure it's all true, but I'm going to go until I absolutely know for sure. Fourth, and probably the most honest response that we can have this morning to our doubt is to pray, Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief. And this comes from one of my favorite stories in the Bible. You can find it in Mark chapter 9. It is a story about a man who brings his possessed son to Jesus. And we'll pick up the story in verse 20. It says, so they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It, was, it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. 
You think this man had any doubts about what Jesus could do? Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Then Jesus commanded the spirit to come out of the boy. And I love this story because it's one of the most honest answers that I have read in the Bible about anything, including doubt. Of course we believe, but sometimes we have doubt. Sometimes we need help with our unbelief. You see, one of our natural reactions to doubt is to deny it. Rather than accept it and deal with it, we tend to discount it as if it wasn't happening. But we all have doubts. We had doubts like I told you, like, am I good enough? Can I do this? Will God do what he said he's going to do? Maybe some of you this morning, you're being generous and you've gotten involved with this church financially and you're doing all of this crazy stuff and you start to think of what you could be doing with all that money you're giving and you start to wonder, is it worth it? Is it true? Maybe you're single and you're trying to be a single Christian and to do everything the right way and everybody seems to be having a great time except for you. But you know in your heart that God wants you to manage your morality and your singleness. And you start to wonder, is it worth it? Is it true? Maybe you're staying in a tough marriage and you wonder, man, I'm not sure this is worth it. Maybe you're looking around the world and you see all the devastation and maybe a loved one is hurting and you're like, where are you, God? Is this true? How can God exist with all the hurt around the world? You know, I'm going to call Kim and Ian up. And as they do that, we know that doubt is true for all of us. We all ask ourselves, is it worth it and is it true? And you have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decision to put your faith in your heavenly father who loves you and to deal with your doubt. You have no idea what you're going to miss out on if you allow doubt to take you out. The question is, to whom shall you go? Doubt whispers, is it true? And Jesus whispers, if not me, who? You know, some of us this morning, we just need to cry out to God and say, Lord, just save me. I need your help. I'm a mess. Of course I have doubts. God, help me. Maybe the most honest response this morning is to say, Lord, help my unbelief. So as the worship team sings this song, I just invite you to bring your doubts into God's presence, to through the lyrics of this song that you would close your eyes and that you would just come before your God and, and, and come before the fellowship of one another and just let God's Spirit strengthen your faith in your Lord and that you would know that He is a great God and that He will do what He said He's going to do, that He will finish a work in you, that He begin in you. Cry out to him this morning and ask him to help you with your unbelief, whatever that doubt is. As God is speaking to you this morning, just come and bring it before God. Cry out to him and and seek his love and seek his peace and seek his hope.
Will you bow in prayer with me? Father, to whom shall we go? If not you, who, Father? Lord, we choose this morning to surrender to you. We choose this morning to take our doubt and just bring it to you, Father, for you are the author of our lives. Lord, we recommit our hearts to you. We recommit all that we are to you, Father. We just cry out to you, Abba, Father. And Lord, we ask that you would save us, that you would help us, and that you will help us with our unbelief. Father, and we just thank you for this whole series that we've been on, Father. 
Lord, that we can just come to you with all of our sin and doubt and fear and judgment. And Lord, just bring it to your feet, Lord. And just thank you for allowing us to reconcile all of that with you. Lord, I ask that you would strengthen us in such a way that we would be able to plant that in, in the deepest part of our hearts where it would be transforming to the renewing of our mind. Lord, so that we invite you to finish what you have begun in us. Lord, in all of these areas. Lord, again, I, I pray that you would just help us with our unbelief as we walk out of these doors. We love you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.